98K News. It's 11 o'clock. I'm Robert Kemp. Tonight's headlines. National Security Police freeze assets belonging to the Hong Kong Alliance in support of patriotic democratic movements of China. Financial Secretary Paul Chan seeks the winding up of Next Digital. And RTHK issues a document to its staff saying the station must support the government in safeguarding national security and interests. National Security Police have frozen assets belonging to the Hong Kong Alliance in support of patriotic democratic movements of China. Days after members voted to dissolve the group, Damon Pang reports. The police order involves bank accounts and property in Hong Kong, where the now-shuttered June 4th Museum used to operate. Earlier this month, the force charged several key members of the alliance with inciting subversion of state power, saying in a statement at the time that it had frozen $2.2 million in assets. Officers also raided the museum. Richard Choi, a member of the group, says the police's latest move is unnecessary, given that the alliance has already begun legal procedures to liquidate. He says he will write to the police to demand the release of the assets so that he can continue liquidating the alliance. Financial Secretary Paul Chan has exercised his powers to seek the winding up of Next Digital. He says the move is in the public interest. Here's Demon Pang again. The government says Paul Chan presented a winding-up petition for Next Digital to the courts in accordance with the company's ordinance. In a statement, the administration said the secretary's move came after he considered an interim report by an inspector appointed in July to probe the firm. The government said the court petition also involved information and evidence obtained by the Securities and Futures Commission through a separate investigation. When the remaining directors of the company's board resigned in early September, they also said it was in the best interest of shareholders, creditors and former staff for a listed firm to be liquidated. Seven senior members of Next Digital's now-defunct Apple Daily newspaper, including founder Jimmy Lai, have been charged with violating the national security law. RTHK has issued a new document to its staff saying the, situa- saying the, si- the station must support the government in safeguarding national security and interests. Wendy Wong reports. The document sets out RTHK's editorial policies and processes in detail. It says the overriding principle is that the broadcaster must respect and uphold the one country, two systems principle. The document says it's RTHK's responsibility to prevent and suppress acts that endanger national security and under no circumstances should its programs provide a platform to encourage, incite, promote, glorify, endorse or sympathise with any act or activity endangering national security. It says RTHK programs must not provoke or deepen hatred, discrimination or hostility towards the central or SAR government. Advisor to the Director of Broadcasting, Kitty Choi, says staff could continue to interview people who are critical of the government. Facts speak for themselves, and facts are facts. As long as these are genuine comments made by real people, they actually said it, there is no problem for reporting such as facts in our news. The document says while public interest is the basis of RTHK's work, the station should also take into consideration national interest, which is an essential part of public interest. It says the station must identify itself with national interests regarding programs on mainland affairs in Taiwan. All staff were also reminded to act responsibly on social media to protect the station's integrity and reputation and declare possible conflicts of interest. The document notes that their external activities may give rise to a conflict of interest.
The activities include public expression of opinion, political activities, and public appearances. Ms. Choi says RTHK will take a common sense approach in vetting staff social media and external activities. It really depends on your role in the whole production chain, your editorial chain, uh, as well as your prominence in your role, etc. But the overriding principle is that whatever your role is, ask yourself whether your private and external activities have a bearing affecting the impartiality image of RTHK. If so, I would urge staff to think twice. According to the document, the guidelines should be followed by everyone involved in the production of RTHK programs, including contract staff. Anyone who fails to comply may face disciplinary action. The Journalists Association expressed concern that asking staff to seek guidance from seniors would ultimately affect programme quality. In a statement, it said flexible news organisations often resolve issues through communication rather than having staff seek top-down orders. Meanwhile, the head of the RTHK Advisory Board, Lam Tai Fai, says the broadcaster, as a government department, has the responsibility to safeguard national security. You're tuned to RTHK. The time's just gone past five minutes past 11. Ten district councillors from Kowloon have been disqualified after their oaths of allegiance to the SCR were ruled invalid. Jimmy Choi reports. Those losing their seats include former Democratic Party lawmaker James Toe and barrister Lawrence Lau, who's been charged with violating the national security law. Besides Mr Toe, four Democratic Party members were also unseated, including Vice Chairwoman Edith Lung. The Oath Administrator, Home Affairs Secretary Casper Cho, asked the 10 to submit further information after the oath-taking ceremony last Friday, casting doubts about their validity. In a statement, the government said they were disqualified after taking into consideration their written replies and all relevant information. A total of 55 councillors from Yaochen Mong, Shamshui Po, Kowloon City, Wan Tai Sin and Kun Tong took the oaths, of which 45 were ruled valid. Earlier this month, 24 district councillors from Hong Kong Island took part in an oath-taking ceremony, with seven of them stripped of their seats after their oaths were declared invalid. Meanwhile, the government has announced a third batch of councillors from North District, Taipo, Saikong and Shaotin will take the oath next Monday. Lawmakers have passed changes to the law aimed at safeguarding the dignity of the Chinese flag and national emblem, spelling out in detail how they should be treated with respect and setting out rules on ceremonies in schools. Jimmy Choi reports. The SAL had the constitutional responsibility to implement the law changes after the National People's Congress Standing Committee endorsed them last October. Local legislators said as patriots is only right to better protect the dignity of the two national symbols. Insurance sector lawmaker Chen Kim Paul said the flag and emblem had been insulted during anti-government protests in 2019. <laughs> Looking back at the riots and black-clad people repeatedly insulting the national flag and national emblem, it pained me as a Chinese to see such behaviour, he said. Under the bill, the national flag and emblem are not to be displayed upside down or discarded at will or used in any way that undermines their dignity. It also prohibits intentionally and publicly desecrating the flag or emblem by burning, mutilating, scrawling on, defiling and trampling on them or their images. It will be illegal to insult the flag and emblem in real life or online, with offenders liable to up to three years in prison and a fine of $50,000. 
The bill also requires the SAL schools and kindergartens to display the national flag and hold a flag-raising ceremony every week. Primary and secondary students must also learn about the flag's history. Business and Professionals Alliance legislator Christopher Chern said the requirement could cultivate patriotism in students, but much more needs to be done. The Education Bureau should keep a close eye on how schools teach about the national flag and emblem, and schools that don't follow those instructions should be punished, he said. Tourism sector lawmaker Yusi Wang meanwhile said the authorities also need to teach the general public about the flag and emblem. Three public hospitals have started offering patients COVID jabs, with the government saying it hopes the service will boost the inoculation rate among elderly people. Joanne Wong reports. Civil Service Secretary Patrick Nib, who's in charge of the government's vaccination drive, was at Queen Mary Hospital to see it start giving out COVID shots to patients. New BioNTech vaccination booths have also opened at the Two Moon and Queen Elizabeth hospitals. Mr. Nib says it's part of efforts to make it more convenient for elderly people to get inoculated. This is an additional channel that uh, facilitates the uh, elderly to uh, receive the jab. He notes that the government has also been offering outreach vaccination services at shopping malls and public estates and says the hospital jabs are mainly aimed at people who are there for unrelated appointments. While they are at hospitals waiting for the medical consultations or waiting for the drugs, they can get the jab. The 63-year-old man at Queen Mary Hospital said he felt more at ease receiving his jab in hospital. There are many people to look after you, he said. So it's like VIP treatment. The Centre for Health Protection has reported five new imported COVID cases involving fully vaccinated travellers arriving from the Philippines, Jordan and Japan. The police commissioner, Raymond Siu, says the head of the Hong Kong Macau Affairs Office, Xiao Baolong, has sent his condolences to the family of the policewoman who died in an anti-smuggling operation last week. Senior Inspector Lam Yun-Yi was among a team of officers who've been chasing smugglers near Long Ku Chao. Their boat overturned in a collision with a vessel and Miss Lam's body was retrieved from waters near Taiwo days on Monday. The government says it expects the number of private flights generated in the first three quarters of the current financial year and its land sale programme to exceed its full-year target. For the October to December quarter, two residential sites in Taipo and Repulse Bay will be put on sale, providing 210 flats. In all, more than 7,000 flats are expected to be generated in the period raising the total for the first three quarters to 14,430, surpassing the government's full-year target. Here's Development Secretary Michael Wong. Despite having reached the supply target already, to ensure a steady land supply, we will continue to provide additional supply in the fourth quarter, that is January to March 2022, through government land sale and MTR and ULA projects. We estimate that the total private housing land supply for financial year 2021-2022 could exceed 17,000 flats. Trade unionist Bill Tang has expressed reservation over a suggestion by Labour Secretary Lo Chi Kuang that people transfer mandatory profit fund savings into an annuity plan, saying this would not benefit grassroots workers. Maggie Hill reports. 
The Labour Minister raised the idea in an interview with Singtao Daily, saying the government should study whether to make it mandatory for retirees to transfer their MPF balances into an annuity plan. But Bill Tang told an RTHK programme that the steady income from an annuity plan is far too low for grassroots people to make ends meet. For someone with around $200,000 of MPF savings, if they put the entire sum into an annuity plan, the monthly return would be just a little over $1,000, Mr. Tang noted. He said before the transparency of the annuity system is improved and before the interest becomes more attractive, the government should not make it mandatory. Speaking on the same program, Billy Mack, an associate professor from the Baptist University's Department of Finance and Decision Science, said the government can consider making bigger contributions to the MPF accounts of low-income workers and let them choose how to invest the money. Lawmaker Paul Tse also said he supports the concept of annuity, but added it should remain a voluntary choice. At present, the Hong Kong Mortgage Corporation is providing Hong Kong's only public annuity in the form of an insurance product for residents aged 60 or above for a premium of between $50,000 and $3 million. Former Japanese Foreign Minister Fumio Kishida has won a ruling Liberal Democratic Party leadership race, setting him on the path to take over as the country's Prime Minister. Mr. Kishida won won in a closely fought four-horse race among them Taro Kono, the social media savvy centrist politician and vaccine chief. All eyes are now on the sort of policies that Mr. Kishida will adopt especially with regards to foreign policy, where he was known for being bullish towards China. Michelle Yihe Lee is Washington Post, Tokyo Bureau Chief. She explains what his victory means. The incoming Prime Minister Kishida uh, has faced some criticisms of being soft on some of these uh, issues and and challenges facing Japan on a foreign policy level, especially from China. So as he takes the helm, you can expect him to continue that line of a strong stance toward China, making sure that Japan is leading in East Asia and that its influence is growing, especially to counter China's rise. North Korea claims it has tested a new hypersonic missile, which it said was one of the five most important weapons in its five-year military plan. It's yet another indication of Pyongyang's growing technological advances, despite strict international sanctions. The launch of the missile yesterday was condemned by the United States, which urged North Korea to come back to the negotiating table. Now the weather will be mainly fine, apart from isolated showers. The minimum temperature will be about 28 degrees. Temperature is currently 29 degrees, humidity 80%, very hot weather warning is in force. And a reminder of our top story tonight, National Security Police frees assets belonging to the Hong Kong Alliance in support of patriotic democratic movements of China. And that's the news from RTHK.
Into the 80s with that track from Bucks Fizz and uh, the Land of Make Believe, a band, in fact, that was formed for the Eurovision Song Contest. That was 1980 or 81, where they had the hit Making Your Mind Up. 19 past 11 on the Dying Embers of a Wednesday night. We'll be going into early Thursday morning, of course, with our sentimental journey. If you'd like to be in touch, the email remains the same, radiopete at gmail. Still got a couple of requests to go, by the way. Don't think I've forgotten you, I haven't. As we go to the new Seekers next, on three. Honey, though I think about your day and night. 